afternoon, good evening, wherever in the world you are and whatever time it is. Thank you so much for being here. You are listening to Courageous Self-Love, the official podcast for the self-love revolution happening right here, right now, 24-7. I'm your host, Amelia Fortes, and today's episode is self-love and relationships. One of my favorite topics, yes, to talk about is relationships, dating, romance, all of that. And as you heard, I I couldn't do this by myself. I brought on my dear friend, Rose Vigiano, to join in this conversation. She's a relationship coach, and we'll get to know her as well through this episode. And then as always, you'll have a way to contact her if you have any questions. Hi, Rose. Hi, Amelia. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. It is so great to be here and so great to have you here. For you listening, the main point of today's episode is to understand and realize or have a deeper understanding if you already know this, your ideal relationship starts with you. Mm-hmm. And that relationships are actually a container for further growth. It's not like this, you know, holy grail that you find mm-hmm. and then your life is great. And then but that's it, know. right? Yeah. <laughs> you check, you swiped in the right direction. You checked off all the boxes. They're the right height, the right size, <laughs> the right economic exactly. uh, income. And now we're done, right? We're done. Happiness. It's happiness from it. here on out. <laughs> Bliss. That's the end of the episode. We're done. That's it. Done. We figured it out. <laughs> Just figure it out. Exactly. No, you're, you're exactly right, Amelia. Yeah. It does start with us. And mm-hmm. once we get into the relationship we're going to be in, put your seatbelt on because <laughs> it's going to be a wild ride. I love it. And I definitely want to, because, you know, anyone listening could either be single or in some sort of mm-hmm. partnership that works for them. I definitely mm-hmm. want to like cover. Or, or all in the middle. Or just, yeah. <laughs> some partnership that doesn't work for them. Exactly. Before we kind of jump into some like solutions, I would love for us, I know you have a very distinct before and after, as do I. I'd like to hear yours and I'll share mine. And while you're listening, you know, just see if you can relate or, or figure out your before and after story. And we'll just kind of talk a little bit about that. So yeah, what's your distinct, I remember right before we started recording, you're like, oh, there's a very distinct before and after. So mm-hmm. tell us When it about- comes to self-love, for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in Manhattan and I'm definitely a New Yorker at heart for life, even though I live in Northern California now. So shout out to anybody listening from the East Coast. And as I know you as well, because you and I met in New York. In New York, yes. In my early 20s, I started seeking a lot um, in different ways for some kind of different life than the success and materialism that I was had been chasing. And I, I started doing yoga and researching different types of philosophies. And, and eventually, in my late 20s, I found meditation. And basically what happened, so this is probably 16 or 17 years ago, when I started to meditate and, and take time 
to get quiet is I really started noticing my thoughts. And first of all, at that time, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion around self-help and meditation. I mean, it wasn't like it is today where, you know, Deepak Chopra and Oprah and everybody is just, it's all over the place and there's so many opportunities. So at that time, I had this realization 15 years ago and that I have a mind that thinks. And, mm. and this may seem like really basic to a lot of people. And I really had no clue that I was separate at all from my mind. And that my mind was going 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So I didn't even know that. So first of all, just the fact that I had a mind that thought and it wasn't me was like a huge realization. But then the, 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 the really important next level was that when I would look at what the mind was producing, what were the thoughts that it was producing, it was nearly 100% negative. Wow. And it was nearly 100% self-critical. And I realized at that point in my life that no matter what I did, it wasn't enough. No matter how I did, it wasn't good enough. And no matter who loved me, I didn't love myself. Mm. And I saw all that by looking at the way that I treated myself with my thoughts. I was literally flabbergasted. Wow. And it took me, honestly, a number of years, not like weeks. So I noticed it and then all of a sudden I could change everything. It like right me, away. <laughs> yeah. No, no. It wasn't like, oh, wow, I have all this negative thinking. So no, let's we'll just, just like, be positive. positive. Yeah. yeah to be great. It took me a number of years and I'm still, I still work on it daily, but initially it took me a number of years to really focus the mind's attention on shifting the patterns that I had been engaging in for the probably, you know, maybe it started when I was four or five, I don't know. Uh, yeah. You know, so probably the, the, the 25 years prior I had been engaging in, in, in really heavy negative and self-harming thinking. So working with meditation, working with affirmations, that was the beginning of my journey. And that was, that was the beginning of, of being able to watch a thought come in and identify it as not being the kind of thought that's going to produce an emotion that I really want. And yeah. then being able to transform that thought with love. One of the most important things I learned is that if I batter my thoughts, they only get stronger. If I fight them, they only have more of an opportunity to win. And so with love, I have to gently shift them towards a thought that is going to be more helpful for my, my system and my life. And after, yeah, years of doing that, I started to feel some love for myself. And it's been quite a long time since I really hated myself. I can tell you that I hated myself. And I thought that was a normal way to be. I really did. I thought everybody hated I think a lot. I think a lot of us think it's a normal way to be. And I, I definitely want to talk about that more, but not before pausing on this really important. I mean, you made a lot of important points, but this point of like, it took a number of years. And I'm reminded of that topic that came out and kind of went viral on social media about toxic positivity. And it's like, 
you know, just because you real, like the first step was awareness, right? But just because you realized 90% or more of your thoughts were negative or self-loathing, it's not like you were like, oh, yay. So now I can just think positive. Like you're literally saying it took a number of years. And not only that, you still practice it every day. So I just want to like set expectations for that, that like, throughout this episode, we'll definitely talk about like how this ties into relationships. Cause I mean, but first it starts with, right. right? So it definitely ties into relationships, but like for those of you who, whether you're coupled up or tripled up or or single or whatever, it's not like you're going to realize the thing that's been holding you back. And then all of a sudden be like, okay, yay. Now I can just be happy. Yes, it's and because practice. I exactly, yeah. exactly, and because I do specialize in relationships, and and I work with people who are who are in relationships with romantic partners, and and the rest of us who are also in relationships throughout our lives. We have relationships yes. at work, at school, with our kids, at the grocery store. I mean, we're surrounded by relationships, so working on our relationships is essential. And like you said, it, it does start with us. And the other piece to the whole self-hatred, I know the amount of work you've done and the amount of work I've done on myself. It's like, even just admitting the whole self-hatred, self-loathing, that's another step to like come to. Because a lot of people, like if I feel like if you were to mention that to them, they would immediately be defensive, myself included. Like, I don't hate myself. I love myself. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. But it's like, but do you really, you know, when you Mm -hmm. really look at your thoughts, if your thoughts are 90% negative and self-critical, that's more mm-hmm. leaning towards self-loathing than it is self-love. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I think people yeah. have varying degrees of it too. There are yes. a lot of people that struggle with negative image or they just have feelings of that they're not enough. And certainly part of what had happened with me is that it stemmed from from neglect I experienced in childhood and traumatic experiences that I went through both growing up and in my younger adult life, some of which happened to me and some of which I participated in and made choices that brought them into my life. And so that's the thing about positive thinking that a lot of people don't get to. It's not just a question of bringing in some affirmations or doing a 21-day gratitude meditation or keeping a journal. If there's real issues like trauma and neglect that those have to be worked through for the most part with some kind of a professional. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's one element to all of this that cannot be missed. Bypassed or yeah, no, because you can throw all the affirmations you want on yourself. And if there's some real pain in there that has to be processed, it's not going to help. It's like spraying Febreze on rotting meat. Like you're just not, you know, right? Or spraying Febreze on like a trash can. It's like, no, you have to take out the trash and then spray the Febreze. Right. But you first got to take out the trash. Exactly. It's like when you need stitches, a Band-Aid will not cut it. Right. Right. So how did this translate to relationships? Tell us like maybe one example of like a before and after as it related to like romantic relationships for you? Sure. That's a really great question. What I have found is that the longer I have practiced loving myself and the kind of 
work that I needed to do on myself to take out the trash, like you say, yeah. mm-hmm. and to really feel the love that, that I have for myself. And I know the universe wants me to have for myself, the better my relationships got. And I don't just mean I was better in relationships, which of course is true. It's that the people I chose to be in relationships mm-hmm. with changed. Yeah. So who I was drawing to me changed and what I was willing to deal with changed. Whereas 10 years ago, I may have been satisfied to have a man who was willing to uh, just simply show up consistently or call me back or take mm-hmm. me take me on a date. And the bar was raised with the kind of person that I was attracted to. My current relationship, which I've been in for almost five years, mm. has been by far the highest caliber relationship and man that I have ever been with in my life and has been mm. by far the most satisfying, true partnership I have ever been in. And I can honestly say that that would not have been possible if not for the work that I have done on myself for all these years. Right. Taking out the trash, loving yourself. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk more about that and also relate it to kind of my before and after. I love that you said like, I would have been satisfied if someone just like called me back or took me out on a date. And in the work that I do, you know, with my self-love coaching too, it's like, well, he called me back. Or like if they're comparing their love life to like someone on social media, like, well, they must have a good relationship. He bought her balloons and took her to dinner on Valentine's Day. Mm. And at that point, like, you know, I I lovingly laugh because I'm like, girl, that's the bare minimum. Like literally an abusive sociopath can plan Valentine's yeah. Day dinner and buy balloons. I mean, it's it's not even <laughs> the bare minimum. It's, it's It doesn't matter. Oh yeah, like, yeah, like it girl, literally yeah. has no in, like what this person does for Valentine's Day has almost no indication on the quality of your relationship. Now oh, that doesn't mean shit. that if yeah. it, that doesn't mean that if Valentine's Day isn't important to you and that you have a partner who shows up, then that's great. Then that is, that is an indication. And yeah. and it, it, there's so many things that Valentine's Day can never replace. Exactly. And so it's just like this concept of Rose, in your life, your before and after, and as well as in my before and after, it really came down to like, where do I value myself? And, Mm. you know, what is actually acceptable or what actually constitutes a good partnership or a good relationship? So -hmm. it's not like poo pooing on the balloon, like I freaking love balloons, like give me the, I love them. (laughs) It's not poo pooing on balloons or flowers or dates, but it's like, that's not necessarily the indicator of like partnership quality or relationship quality. So I'll share like some details of my before and after. And I want to know like if you can relate definitely to those of you listening, how you can relate. So oh gosh, I the bare minimum, like if a guy called me back, I was like, obviously we're getting married. Obviously he's the one (laughs) because I was so used to chasing unavailable men who Mm -hmm. would say would seem interested and then ghost. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. or I was running away from men who were quote unquote too interested. And I noticed I was having these thoughts of like, why is he obsessed with me? But I realized I was in this like vicious cycle of either you're too interested and I'm not interested, or you have 
no interest. You're so unavailable. And now I want you even more. (laughs) Mm. That was my vicious cycle. And I had to, you know, get real with the fact that actually tagging back to what you said, and I love it. Like I, I wrote it down and I started when you started to love yourself more and work on yourself more and take out the trash, so to speak, before spraying the Febreze, you know, it's like <laughs> you said, the people I chose to be in relationship with changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like a huge piece of the responsibility, like taking the responsibility. Cause yes, there are assholes out there, right? There mm-hmm. are narcissists, there are sociopaths, there are gold digger, like whatever cliche, bad archetype of partner you want to say but if you're the one choosing to be in relationship with and like we don't even just mean like be committed to Facebook official it's like if you're choosing to even interact with this person or give it the time of day or text back and forth or right like then you're choosing that And when you love yourself more, those choices will just naturally change. It's not like you have to try not to change it. They do. They really do. And I see it with my clients because they wonder, well, this work that I'm doing with you, this pivot curriculum, what's, is that really going to make a difference? And what happens is if they're, if they're not in a relationship, when we start, they change and shift and progress and grow so much in the work that we do they are shocked at the kind of people that they are attracting once we yes. get to the part where they go into dating yes and i've ex- I, I know you've experienced that yourself like yeah. you just said and and i have too like it was i think for me one of the big pivot points just to mm-hmm. use the, the the pivot word cuz i love that word too but um what for me was like I want a boyfriend that's going to do all this stuff for me. Like I want a boyfriend that's going to spend time with me. That's going to pay attention to me. That's going to take the time to plan out a nice evening or a nice weekend. One that's going to hold space for me when I'm upset and not judge me when I'm upset and just let me be upset. And all these things that I said that I wanted, I was like, holy shit, am I doing this for myself? No, I'm not. Like I wasn't doing these things for myself. So I had to, wow. yeah, like mm-hmm. I had to start holding space for myself and my pain and my upset. I had to start planning nice things for me to do. Actually, one of the big things too was, um, and I think a lot of people listening and maybe you can even relate to this too, Rose, is like, there's like this dream or like this fantasy that people often have about the relationship of their dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, it was like, it became like, it smacked me in the face when I was 29, about to turn 30. Mm. And I didn't realize that I didn't realize that I was like avoiding figuring out how I wanted to celebrate my birthday. And anyone that knows me knows it's like a month long affair. Like it's like, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm one of those people where it's Uh-oh, like, Amelia's birthday is coming. It's like, everybody clear, knows. It's clear like your calendar, clear your calendars, buy the weekly pass, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was avoiding it. And I realized it was because I was not going to fulfill the dream or the fantasy that I had of having a romantic getaway with this, with my man or whatever, Mm. that he would plan this romantic 30th birthday getaway. But when I really pulled apart, like the value of it, the values and the, the feeling of it, 
I was like, wait a second. I don't need a man to have a romantic weekend getaway. Mm-hmm. Romantic weekend getaway can just be that. It, I, it doesn't have to be with like my man or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that, I created a romantic weekend getaway for me and seven of my closest girlfriends. Mm. And it was actually really great because two of them were my cousins who have like one of my cousins has four daughters and the other had two boys at the time. And so it was romantic for them too. They had an excuse to like get away, like, sorry, hubby, like you're taking the kid, you know? So I ended up creating this like romantic getaway for like eight of us. Mm. And it still was sad that I didn't have like the boyfriend, but like it just, it was a big shift. And when I did that act of self-love for myself, a lot of things shifted in my dating life. And so I'd love to hear for you, like some specifics, like, cause like, so for me, it was like, I was no longer like the way that guys were treating me before this, like self-love pivot, let's call it. Right. I was not like no longer a space for accepting that kind of like mediocre or even like shitty treatment from Mm -hmm. some men because it was like, I'm providing all these things for myself. So either you provide that above and beyond or it's not happening. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what you have like, yeah, go ahead. So important. It is, it's just so important. You know, the, the thing, and, and this is like what I love about this topic and about what you're doing the the topic of self-love and relationships and just self-love in general. The thing that I learned that I really didn't want to believe is true is that I can never love someone else more than I love myself. Mm. So it took me a while to actually hear that. I can never love anyone else more than I love myself. Now you're going to have a bunch of people at this point saying that's impossible because I love my kids more than I love myself. Mm. It's, it's, it's physically not possible because my capacity for love for myself is the only indication of what I can really do for another. Because with another person, there will always be a limit to what I'm capable of if I cannot grow how I feel about myself. And I see that all the time. I love that you brought that perspective about the kids. It's like the oxygen mask thing. Exactly. Like you have to put your own mask first because how you won't have, you literally will not have enough oxygen to help your kid or whoever's next to you. Exactly. And any parent will tell you as I am a parent that if your own self-care is suffering, if you're not doing the kind of things, Amelia, that you're talking about, like really taking care of yourself and getting your needs met, you don't have anything left for your kids. And you find out that even if you're still getting dinner on the table or still getting them to soccer practice, you're snippy, you're crabby, Mm -hmm. you don't have the patience you want to have. And then we end up feeling like, oh, why did I say that? Or why did I do that? Or the the days and weeks and years go by. And we feel like we're missing out on our lives because there's no way to be grounded in my life if I'm not really practicing loving and caring for myself. Yeah. And not only that, I love that you bring this point about like, you may be getting the dinner on the table. You may be getting them to the soccer practice, et cetera. Aside from the things that you even notice, like you said, you'll notice you're more snippy, but even the things that you don't notice, like your kids, and not just your kids, your partner, your friends, 
they're always mm-hmm. watching you, whether they realize it or not. There's always an unconscious connection with anyone that you're in relationship with. Back to that word of, you're always in connection with them, and people will feel the love you have for yourself. And I think they even unconsciously decide, well, this is the capacity she has for herself, so like this is the capacity she'll have for me. And so, as a child, a child brain will make all kinds of decisions based on that. And the other thing that happens is that very often, and this is, this is the flip side of what you're talking about, which is you said, you, you took the power and said, well, I need to start doing this for myself. So the negative side of that is that when we don't do it for ourselves, we start expecting it to come from, other. from others, our partners, our kids, our bosses. Mm-hmm. And then that's where we really start getting destabilized in our relationships when we don't have another person fulfilling the needs, especially the needs we are not fulfilling, we get angry and resentful. Yes. And it, it creates conflict in our relationships. In all of them, not just romantic. All of them. With the kids, with the friends, with clients. At work. At work. You know, it's like when yeah. I'm having a problem at work, am I looking at what am I really expecting? And you know, this is going to be different for for different people because we all have different experiences. And it's very common to say, well, what am I trying to get from my boss or my, my supervisor? Like, am I looking for validation? Am I looking for approval? You know, do I not feel appreciated? Well, I don't, they're, they don't appreciate me. Well, Mm. do you appreciate yourself? Mm. How are you you validate yourself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are you grateful for your job? Are you showing up to do a good job because you want to do a good job for yourself because it feels good? Or are you showing up to do a good job? So someone's going to say to you, Hey, good job. And then when you don't get that feedback, well, forget it. This person is an asshole. Yeah. No. And everything you're saying about with your boss or with your job or with your coworkers, that's absolutely also true with your partner. Oh yeah. Times, times a hundred, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's like, oh, they don't appreciate me or, oh, they should, they should be doing X, Y, Z. Which is so comfortable. And there's something that you're doing that's creating my discomfort or not doing right or not exactly, which, you know, may be true. And if it is true, how can I speak to that? If there's one thing that I, I find is the most detrimental in relationships is when and this usually comes from it from a level of insecurity or not not affirming ourselves enough is that i don't feel that i deserve to ask for what i want and need so i don't and then i get angry at my partner for not fulfilling yeah. the things i never even asked for right and for I not reading my mind over and, and over yeah. again exactly yeah. and then if even if they do do something it's not quite right I also have to look at where those wants and needs coming from and how am I asking for them? Am I asking for them in in an attacking way, in an understanding way? Are these things that I need to be taking care of in myself and then my partner can enhance what I'm doing? Right, right. Well, I love that piece that you said. I wanted to like highlight that where you like, I, I don't feel like I deserve to ask for what I want, so I don't. But then I still expect it to a certain extent. And that's true whether you're in partnership, in relationship, or even if you're dating and single. It is so crucial. Thank you for bringing up dating. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the other thing that I see 
so often, especially with women, I, I'll just say it, is yeah. that women start, they'll start dating a man and then they do not ask them questions, really pointed questions in the first few dates mm-hmm. to find out who they, who this, this person is. Mm-hmm. You know, who is this man? Like, what is your relationship like with money? Do you have mm-hmm. any debt? Do you, you know, do you owe any student loans? What do you own your home? I mean, women are so shy to get that information. And then what usually happens is they fall into a relationship with someone and it takes a very long time to get to the meat of who that other person is. And then sometimes they get upset that that person isn't who they wanted them to be or who they thought they were. And meanwhile, they never vetted them properly. I did this myself. Time Me too. Time oh, yeah. Again. Oh, yeah. Me too, for sure. The other piece, the other side of that is not only being willing to ask those questions, but then if they're not quote unquote up to code, and you know, this isn't about like judging people and then like trashing them, but like being willing to let them go. Yes. And I will say this was another big point for me and for my partner in our relationship. But even when we were dating, there's this thing that we say, like, be willing to say the thing that might break us up. Because Mm -hmm. if if we're not, then we're not going to look at it. We're not going to talk about it. And we have to be willing that this might be the end if it's really not in alignment. So that was absolutely the case with the dating. But then even now, in part, like we've been together for three plus years now and we still yes. are like, are we willing to say the thing? And sometimes we have these conversations where it's like, okay, we have to talk and it, this might be the thing. <laughs> yes. So this is the issue that I'm having. This is blah, blah, blah. You know? And then we always end up working it out. That's why we're, we're together, but we're willing yes. to let it go Beautiful. if we have That's so beautiful and so important not to let things be left unsaid and fester and fester. That happens in dating because that's the, Mm -hmm. to your point of like not asking these pointed questions to find out who he is, which I love that as like a practice, but it's like, it's that same thing of like, I don't want to ask this because. I might actually find out the answer and I might not get the answer. But then it's like, wouldn't you want to know that? (laughs) So it's like this this system. (laughs) And so, and this is the piece that we touched on earlier about trauma and about taking the trash out, Mm -hmm. which is that for those of us, I know I, I, I come from abandonment in my childhood and trauma. And I know a lot of people do, especially people who are listening to this podcast and who work with you, Amelia. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if that's your experience, if you come from a childhood that had some dysfunction in it, that had some abandonment, some some neglect, especially, it's going to be even harder for you to walk away from a relationship once you start feeling those good feelings, especially when you get physical with someone and it becomes very difficult to let it go. And so that's why the beginning of the relationship before you get physical with someone and before you get in too deep is so important. And to have the support that you need to work through these issues and to have people or at least a person in your life who can help you to really dissect what's going on in a dating process or with a relationship and be there to support you if you, if you decide it's time to step away. Absolutely. So I, I want to slightly switch gears, but not before just kind of punctuating what you said about 
we do need that support, you know, whether you hire a relationship coach, whether you have a therapist or whether you, mm-hmm. you know, or both, even. or both. I mean, I do both. It's mm-hmm. both is very important for me. I think actually I'll, I'll dare to say that it's important to do one of those things. And we rely a lot on our friends, but here's the thing. A lot of times that's like the blind leading the blind <laughs> um, or like we rely on family and it's not yep. even about the blind leading the blind. It's like when you have, there's something about having a professional container and exchange with someone who is truly neutral and third party yes. to your experience who can yes. actually facilitate your processing. So I would dare to say like, you know, if you're having issues with these types of things, like definitely hire a coach and or a therapist, like, or both. Like yes. it, I, for me, like it just, it was a no, non-negotiable. So right. I wanted to definitely punctuate that. But also there's a lot of meat in here already, you know, to those of you listening, you could like pause and rewind and like go home and pull out a notebook and take notes. There's a lot of meet here that Rose and I have already discussed. But I wanted to also plant some seeds or start to open up some awareness to things that maybe those of you listening have have not like looked at. So I was curious, Rose, what are some common unconscious beliefs that people have that's actually blocking them from either finding the relationship or even when they're in a relationship, actually like finding that happiness or that ideal partnership. One of the ones that I definitely had was I was terrified of men. Mm. And I, I didn't know that I was because I had a lot of guy friends. I had slept with men. I had been in relationships with men. I went to school for engineering with all men. So like I have brothers. I'm not terrified of men. No way. Mm. But when I actually started to do the work on myself, I was like, oh no, there is definitely a terror of men. That's kind of like the through line of this whole thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's going to be something that gets in the way. The other piece too, that's similar, but not the same was the hatred of men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The anger. The anger. Yeah. yeah. And then also like men are stupid. They're never going to understand me and all the complexities that are me, Mm -hmm. which is absolutely not true. There are tons of beautiful, wonderful, available men. This is pretty heteronormative, but for those of you listening, you know, I trust you can adapt this that suits your need, but people, right? It really came down to like a fear of of commitment and intimacy for me. So Right, because it could be the same thing with women. Like, oh, women are so emotional. Exactly. Like people who, you know, who are looking at intimate relationships with women, like, oh, they're so overly emotional and dramatic. And Mm -hmm. that could be a hidden belief about women. For me, I believe the first thing is awareness and just to like name some of these things. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to name some of those things so that those of you listening can be like, do I have this? Could this be me? Or if it's not this specific thing, is it something else? So the general question really is, mm-hmm. what's a, a belief that you might have that's actually keeping you from, from this? And I think the men are stupid one, I think happens in a lot of like partnerships or marriages sure. where it's like long-term because it's like there, there eventually comes this belief that like, there's no way my husband or my partner or my whoever is going to be able to handle this. So I clearly have to do this all on my own. Mm. And also the anger, I mean, especially in the time that we live in right now, I think it's really unfortunate 
how much anger is being built up against men and how easy it is to feel like, oh, the patriarchy or, or yes. and, and that really, that can really block us because like you said, there are a lot of men who are working on themselves and who are advancing and growing and emotional and connected and doing their work. Yes. In my experience, there's definitely, like you say, there's the, the fear of intimacy, the, the anger, the general fear of abandonment. I think that's a big one. I'm mm. afraid to be left, so I'm going to leave you first. Ooh, I think yeah, that, that was me. Some of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or if this, if this starts getting too intense, I'm out of here. Yes. I think that a lot of it goes to attachment style. That's attachment is, is the basis of a lot of the work that I do. And, mm-hmm. and uh, that could be a, that that's a whole nother topic to <laughs> yeah. talk about, yeah. but you know, when people, depending on how people grow up, usually is how they are able to attach in relationships as adults. So for instance, if, if a person grew up with very overbearing parents, maybe mm-hmm. that were very enmeshed in their lives, they may grow up to be much more avoidant. And so when they get into relationships, they're looking for a reason why it's not going to work out. So they've always got some reason why they can't make that deeper level of commitment. Right. Because there's like this underlying fear of, I don't want to get back into that enmeshed kind of Exactly. So it's easier for me to be more aloof. Exactly. And when they have a partner who very often they may pick someone who is more overbearing or anxious, like Mm -hmm. their parent, because we're attracted to what's familiar, regardless of merit, right? Yes. Oh, that's why things like this are so important. Because without the stopgap, without the, the coach or the therapist or working with these kind of topics, we just keep going back to what, what's familiar to us in relationships, which is usually has, has everything to do with the way that we were raised. Absolutely. So, so without that, we just, we just, we, we keep going in that way. And, and somebody who's drawn to someone who's more overbearing, and then when they get into that relationship, they will completely retreat and withdraw and eventually the relationship will end. Yeah. And it becomes this cycle. So I guess I think too, so a great question to to you listening is like, what are potentially some beliefs that you have about relationships or about either the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever type of partnership you choose? What are some unconscious beliefs that might be there that are actually holding you back? And then I love this question about like attachment style and what were the relationships that I was exposed to growing up and how has that influenced or dictated the types of relationships I have now? And like start to see some patterns, right? Yeah. Um, and, and they may, yeah. you know, they may not know, like, we, yeah. like I didn't know until yeah, I no, really got <laughs> in with, with a, with a relationship expert who understood this stuff. I didn't, yeah. I didn't see the through line. And Same. that's the, a Same. lot of the work that I do is, initially at least is building out that through line to get that awareness of like, Oh wow, this is where this comes from. Absolutely. And it's good to like start building the awareness. And like, again, like, like we both said before, it's, it's the best to like have someone that can really support you through that process as like a third party. The other ones that I kind of popped up for me were like, 
and again, we're not going to name them all. There's like infinite possible limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. One that I had was like, and a lot of little girls are taught this men just want sex. Mm. And I had this belief so that in order to protect myself, I would just like offer it up (laughs) as like, Mm -hmm. like, okay, this is just what you want. And I had no experience or belief that they wanted anything more. So when men actually did want to get to know me, especially in high school, like when boys really liked me, I just, I had no, I couldn't receive it. I couldn't compute it because in my mind, they just wanted sex. And if I didn't want to give it to them, then there was no other possibility. So either I would want to give it to them or not, but there was nothing more beyond that. And the other one that I see that holds a lot of men back on the other side is, well, women just care about money or whatever, how big your dick is, like whatever, whatever they think. Right. And so I see a lot of men, at least straight men, you know, again, adjust based on your preference, but I see a lot of men actually not opening up to potential women who really could love them for who they are because they just have this constant tape running of, well, all she cares about is my money. And so I don't have that much, or this is how much I have. So, or they treat her a certain way based on that belief. Like I definitely Mm -hmm. treated men a certain way based on the belief that there's no possible way they could want anything more from me than my body, Mm. which I think ties back to what you were saying about the anger and like this whole like me too and all of this it's all like convoluted again but the moral of the story is have someone help you unpack it all yes (laughs) yeah yes so that so that we're not making decisions based on these latent ideas that we have about the relationships you know another other ones that I that I see is like the idea of a soulmate or that there's one person out there yeah you know, which is just not the case or that I'll never meet another person. I don't want to leave this relationship because I'll never meet anyone else like this person. And it, mm-hmm. that kind of like that whole myth of perfection, because I think if there's this belief of there's this one soulmate or the person that you're with is the one soulmate, it kind of takes away from enjoying the, just the journey of like getting to know someone. Mm-hmm. Because if you're constantly in the back of your mind, like, are you the one? Are you the one? Is it you? Mm-hmm. Is it you? It's like, and they can feel that. And it goes back to what you were saying as far Mm -hmm. as giving to yourself what you need. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're not doing that and relying so much on your partner, then the idea of losing that partner will feel devastating because sometimes we get to a point where, you know, you can't even imagine what it would be like to live without that person. Yeah. If you become too dependent, you know, an unhealthy dependency, there's, there's a, there's a healthy dependency that we have in our relationships. And then there's an unhealthy dependency that we can, we can develop in our relationships as well. Absolutely. So I kind of just to like wrap everything up, I want to leave the listeners with like, what are some examples of like what's possible. So I know Rose you mentioned earlier the relationship you're in right now and I relate, you know the relationship I'm in right now is really the highest caliber man, the highest caliber partnership relationship and in a lot of ways even to this day more than 3 years later I'm still blown away by like who this person is and I'm just like it's definitely a product of who I'm being and who I'm willing to show up as. What are some examples of like 
one or two things that have just blown you away? And for you listening, this is a, a peek into what's possible for you. What are some things that like, you're just like, whoa, I would have, this would have never been possible before. And this is so amazing. I have to start with where we started, which mm-hmm. is that years ago in my before, I hated myself. And I used to constantly berate myself silently in my head for everything that I did. And now I can honestly say that I love myself. I treat myself well. I cherish myself. I am a queen. Mm. I absolutely adore myself in a healthy way. And that is like, that is completely mind blowing that kind of transition. And I feel the most important transition to make and for me to continue working on. You know, I feel completely confident to go out into the world and live my life, whether I have a partner or I don't. Mm. And that is true freedom, that I trust the process of life Mm -hmm. to take me where I need to be and that I'm on a journey. Yeah. And I imagine though, because of that, and this is back to the whole point about providing for yourself what it is you need. So it's like you're at this point where you don't need that quote unquote from a partner. But I imagine because you're providing it, like he provides it in droves because it's like you adore yourself. So it it definitely attracts a partner. Yeah. I will say that it is nice to be in a relationship where I do not question whether my partner loves me or mm -hmm. adores me. It it never even occurs to me. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's so interesting how that works. Is it like, you know, you're providing it for yourself and like, that's how back to the point that you said about the people I chose changed. Like you chose Mm -hmm. this person. Right. I'll say an example from, from my end, because definitely I echo what you said about loving yourself you know, and it also gives space for my partner to love himself. And Mm. then also it's space for him to love me because I'm actually able to receive it. But also that piece about needing space to like be messy and be the uglier feelings, let's call them for lack of a better word. I used to always attract people who just wouldn't give me the space to like either be angry. It's like they always wanted to fix my anger or fix my sadness or like stop crying or whatever. And for me, I had to give myself the space. And I still, that's still something that I practice every day, giving myself the space to just be freaking human Mm. (laughs) and to not be perfect. And I used to, oh my gosh, break my back trying to like project this perfect image, especially if I really liked a guy. We call them wifey credentials. Look how witty I am. Look how smart I am. Because I wasn't providing for myself that validation. But now in my partnership, oh gosh, I like he, it's funny the things that he loves. Because it's like, mm. I'm like, that's literally the weirdest thing about me. <laughs> you know, like, that's yeah. literally like the, or like he, and I feel like a partner feels accepted when you accept yourself because it's like, they feel this sense of you're letting them into your world. And I feel like especially with masculine men, that's a huge way that a feminine woman can approve them is by like letting them into their world. I used to think I had to approve men like, I approve you. I approve. I love you. But for him, I noticed the things that make him feel the most accepted and approved is when I am in my raw emotion. And I, that was like a whole new thing for me. Like, oh, so when I am a total mess, like that quote unquote mess, right? Because mess is. Yeah, right. 
oh, this is when you love me more. And, and yes, he, he would say yes, because I can see you like you're letting me see you. Right. And I right. feel like in dating when you're single or even when you're in partnership, when you don't let your partner see all of you, that is where they feel kind of shut out. Yes. What and a great not, example. Not mm-hmm. a breeding ground for like deeper love. Right. And connection. That's exactly what my partner says to me too. Uh, and it's, it's like, it's, oh. When you're broken down, that's the part when I love you the most. And yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? Not and when I'm like, yeah. you know, owning it. and. Mm-hmm. But really what he's saying is that there's a feeling that you're having and you're opening up to me. You're not covering it with a with a sword and a shield and battling through the world and then to me eventually because if I'm not opening up with my softness and sharing my feelings and my sadness and my neediness and all those things with my partner eventually what will happen is I'll swing back to like you're not fixing those things for me yeah so letting them into that soft place is is the best way to be able to build that connection Yes. What covers that up, just to bring it back full circle, is a lot of the stuff that we talked about in like the first half of this episode around the potential unconscious beliefs that you have, the attachment style, the pattern, all of that stuff, the thoughts that you have. And we could talk about this literally for hours and hours and hours. And I just love this. All. There's so much in here, though. Like, you know, listen to this episode again if you have to with a notebook this time and just start to take some notes and really open up to and consider hiring a coach, seeing a therapist, like just having someone else to process this with that's not so emotionally connected to you like a friend or a family member. It's, it really is a game changer. And that being said, Rose, like what's a great way for people to contact you or, or see you? I know your Instagram. You can email me. You can follow me on Facebook. I'll link to the show notes here, but just to, so that you hear it, the Instagram is at Rose underscore Vigiano. And then the email is Rose at love to pivot.com. And I'll, I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Rose. For Thank being you. Here. This was such a good, juicy conversation. I mean, you and I have had such juicy, really a lot of fun to you listening. Thank you for being here. This was self-love and relationships. You're listening to Courageous Self-Love, the official podcast for the self-love revolution. I'm your host, Amelia Fortes. Thank you. I love you. Reach out to me. I want to know how this episode landed for you. You know what to do. All the links are in the show notes. Thank you so much. I'm doing man.